This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. Did you know that Interactive Brokers clients earn up to 4.58% on their uninvested, instantly available cash balances? In fact, you need to ask yourself, how much interest is your broker able to pay you? Compare IBKR's ability to pay you interest of up to 4.58% to other brokers who can only pay you less than one half percent. You know who they are. And that's just one of the many reasons clients use interactive brokers to trade stocks and options, futures, currencies, bonds, funds, and more. When placing your money with a broker, you need to make sure your broker is secure and can endure through good and bad times. IBKR's strong capital position, conservative balance sheet, and automated risk controls are designed to protect IBKR and its clients from large trading losses. Their prudent and conservative risk management uniquely positions IBKR to pay you higher interest and with demonstrated security and financial strength. Of course, we know that rates are subject to change. Interactive Brokers is a member of SIPC. Visit IBKR.com slash interest rates to learn more. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Oh, this AI tech washing is getting pretty old. Earnings are in, and so far, not many surprises. One sell-off in a day in a sea of general buying. And a discussion of my time spent with Goldman Sachs this week. All this and much more on episode number 826 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Welcome to the Discipline Investor Podcast. This is Andrew Horowitz, and I am the host, as you know, for those of you who don't, because maybe you're new to this, I am the host of this. I'm the host of DH Unplugged. Actually, correction, I am the co-host of DH Unplugged. Each and every Tuesday night, John C. Dvorak and myself, we get together and we talk about, I call it the lighter side of finance, because we take the news, the things, the titles that are happening from all the news items and the headlines and the, 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 the just total dysfunctional way that is presented and try to give it to you back in a way that is is more usable. And on top of that, we try to reveal some of the shenanigans that go on in the financial markets so that you could be a better investor. On this particular show, The Disciplined Investor, which we do each and every week, 826 shows. I think we're, I think we're at 16 years, do, 16 years doing this. The longest running financial podcast from an independent producer in history. So as we keep on doing this, we hold that mark. The goal here is education. The goal here is to give you what you need to make you smarter in the area of finance. And to do that, well, we go over a lot of things that I do during the week because what I do during the week is, is actually rolling up my sleeves and getting down and dirty in the area of finance. We manage portfolios for clients actively 
And what happens there is we need to understand what is happening in the world. So we reach out and go out and find all sorts of information, reports, research, and then consolidate that and bring it back to an idea of, okay, we want to be here, here, or here. And as such, I am then able to get come here each and every Sunday where we, where we uh, produce this and during the week as we gather the information to come up with things to hopefully provide you insights. Now, some of the things that this week I found interesting, interesting and, and, and some of the things that are getting me a li little under my skin, let's say, is a term you need to know and understand. It is called tech washing. Really the word washing, the general idea of something washing. And it could be things like that we've heard in the past, like cloud or blockchain or Y2K, internet, IoT, Internet of Things, crypto, right? We also had things like, oh, eyeballs back in the day that we had X amount of eyeballs. Uh, of course, the, the one, one of my favorites is when a company talks about the path to profitability, meaning they're not profitable, but they have some kind of a general idea. The word framework, framework, all these things are part and parcel to what we would call washing. In the case of what's going on right now, what we've seen more recently with things like blockchain and crypto and AI, the latest one, right, is called tech washing. Now, Forbes recently defined this business fallacy, as they said it, as the the practice of slapping a trendy new label on legacy solutions ranging from AI to software-defined networking. Now, for example, we've been hearing a lot about AI, and every time it's mentioned in some way or another, the stocks go up. Companies are aware of this. They are now participating in the tech washing process. Apple did it this week. Apple came out with a an announcement, or it was through Bloomberg at least, they came out with this announcement that they were developing their own chat, GPT, generative AI, use whatever particular words that sound fancy and fun to you. And that shot the stock up immediately. It drove up the NASDAQ midweek dramatically. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought they had some of this already. Didn't they have... When you ask a question, you get an answer. Isn't that called Siri? Uh-huh. Microsoft came out with something on Monday. Microsoft came out with a pricing for their uh, their helper, the co-pilot. The co-pilot, they're calling it, which used to be called Clippy. Remember Clippy and Word and Excel? That went by the wayside. You know how you have the ability to do things through Cordana, I think it's called? Is it Cordana? Cortana? Cortana? And now they're coming out with a $30 per month per user seat for their office offering that will allow you to have some kind of AI generation of things that may be able to do things like talk to Excel or write, write to it either way and say something like, hey, I'd like to do a pivot table on the data that was provided and focusing on the vanilla ice cream sales uh, in Nebraska. And you take all this data and maybe it can create that from that. Or maybe... Hey, take the meeting notes from last week, summarize everything that was said, and please do me a favor, put it into an email, send it out to all participants. So we'll call that an AI assistant. How's that? Now, for $30 a month, is that a good deal? $30 a month? I don't know. Now, if it's $30 a month and you have it on all these desktops, the truth of the matter is, if you really think about this for one second, 
You don't need all those desktops and users because if you're taking the job of this AI and you're taking the job away from somebody else because truly you don't need somebody to do it if you just have one person doing it, opening up spreadsheet after spreadsheet saying, hey, do me a favor, summarize this, do that, send this, write this, come up with this formula, code this. What do you need all these people to do it for? You don't. Therefore, you have less seats. It's a conundrum. It's a very interesting balancing act of the idea that they're going to have as many seats that we're going to do an uptake on this, but yet at the same time, drop seats. Maybe that's where the $30 per month comes into play. Maybe that's where there's a benefit. But we can't just assume you're going to have all the same user seats that are paying and on top of that have a 20% uptake in the AI because that's going to kind of cut out some of the seats. So the I think the fallacy of the calculation that was done earlier this week by a lot of people with Microsoft, which drove Microsoft, by the way, to an all-time high, was pretty, I think, dumb. I'm not suggesting that Microsoft is not a great company, because it is. I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong with their abilities of what they're going to do, potentially, with their featured new Clippy. But... I think that some of the excitement has gone off the rails. I think we have jumped the shark on AI, and the idea of using tech washing in this process is just creating more of a bubble. Now, I want you to think about what, what this tech washing, like green washing, you know, for ESG, where it makes it look better, but there's really nothing different. I mean, isn't... Isn't the, we go back to the Siri, again, that, isn't that somehow, is it going to be better maybe somehow? I don't know, maybe it's going to be better. I don't know, maybe it's going to be. But, you know, this AI chatbot that they're working on um, is pretty interesting. I thought that the story was questionable. I'll, I'll say that. And I think it was, at first I thought it was a story that was leaked or it was at least made up at first. But everything was, you know, a buzz and, you know, with Microsoft, with what they're doing and the, the ability to have this utilized in, I don't know, surgeries and possibly robotics and possibly maybe even um, robo-taxis and ordering and administration and, you know, maybe things that are medically oriented. Kind of interesting. But for those of you, you know, this, this is a game. You need to know that. This is a game. Or maybe it's a strategy. Maybe it's a strategy inside of a game. And there's nothing wrong. There's nothing illegal with any of this, unless there's, of course, material misrepresentations in what's going on, right? Fraud, lies in what's happening. But assuming that's not the case, and, you know, I could say, hey, we're working on AI too, because, I don't know, just pick your reason why. But companies know that they say this right now. And the stocks are very much... Uh, attuned to it to start pushing that forward. And whether the algos or maybe even the AI that's involved in the markets right now is grabbing a hold on the news and the headline and then powering up and doing buy orders on it because they know that everybody's going to cling on to this. But I dare tell you, watch for the reversal. Now, we saw some on Tuesday. No, excuse me, Thursday. There was some early in the week due to the NASDAQ 100 rebalance. Put that aside for one second 
Thursday, we saw a big reversal to the downside, huge selling because of Netflix and because of um, Tesla, right? You know, the, the poor numbers that came in. On top of the fact that a lot of semiconductor companies are coming in with questionable and concerning outlooks. Other companies are coming out with outlooks that don't look as good. Banks generally were better than feared. Net interest margins came in pretty good most for the most of them. Many of the big companies, the big names out there, the Schwabs, for example, the Bank of America, um, you know, the, the J.P. Morgans. Um, the, let's stay away from the regionals for a second. Th those gathered a lot of money during the banking crisis, the blip uh, of, of earlier this year, where people were just yanking money because they were concerned about the FDIC coverage and the uninsured amount that was kind of sitting there and vulnerable. And there are winners from this. The numbers at Schwab were incredible. Million accounts that picked up, you know, X, X tens of billion dollars picked up in terms of, in terms of uh, uh, money that was deposited. A far cry from the fear that we saw just four or five months ago. But this whole idea of what's going on right now with the tech washing, Again, not, not illegal, nothing wrong with it. The problem, it, may, it makes things look better than they actually are. It's very interesting to look at and know about and play with and, and go with, but it's done to keep confidence. Now, politicians do this kind of thing all the time. They're going to throw out, you know, we call buzzwords, right? This is something that happens. One of the things we're also seeing right now in certain areas is the Potential for, for companies over-promising and under-delivering moving forward, much like we've seen over the years with the people with the likes of Elon Musk, for example. I know that somebody's going to be like, oh, my God, this guy, he hates Musk. Musk is a genius, great guy. Well, not great. I don't know if he's a great guy. Great guy. Um, but, but, but a genius, right? Not only a genius, shrewd, great inventor, great investor, entrepreneur extraordinaire, creator, a mind, great stuff. That's on one side. His mouth on the other is a big problem. His self-driving, um, you know, fully self-driving FSD, not here yet, not, not here for a while, always a year out. The thing that I thought was most interesting last week was on Monday when they rolled out the first ever production of the Cybertruck, and that became a big deal, and everybody got really excited. And I think that was an interesting moment. Because once that happened, I said, you know, I wonder if that is a tell, that they're not going to have such a good number when they come out with their earnings on Thursday. These are things that you need to keep really awake and, 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 and apprised of, and also keep your eyes open too. I always think of, you know, the saying that somebody once said to me, you know, we look around and we see all the leaves on the ground during the fall. But do you ever stop and look up to watch the leaves falling off the trees before they get to the ground? When it comes to some of the sleuthing that we need to do in the markets, these are the kind of things that come up. Oftentimes you see that a company will talk about a stock buyback program or they'll talk about um, you know, some kind of change to their dividend or something prior to earnings. And that is always something that, that my ears are awakened to.
And I start thinking about why are they pre-announcing these things like a price increase by Netflix, which this didn't happen this time, but a price increase by Netflix two weeks before earnings come out. Because you know, probability is that they could lean on that pretty hard in the conference call after their earnings disappoint. They say, yeah, 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 but, but, but. The good news is we have an earnings increase coming down the road because we're going to see a price increase. So you just think about that. Well, if there's a price increase, there's going to be an earnings increase. That makes sense, right, down the road. So disregard what is happening right now. And you have to ask yourself, why do we all get so excited about all these different things? Well, because we're all suckers, let's be honest, right? We're all suckers. We're all greedy. We look at these things and we're like, yeah, man, look at that. That's going to be the greatest thing ever. And we don't see some of the downside. I mean, come on. Everybody listening knows that down deep, we're all greedy, right? We're all suckers to a certain extent, but we need to try to separate that. Now, on the conference call, this is where this all started getting kind of ugly. Musk was pretty negative. Then we saw a massive drop in margins that we all knew about going into earnings that it had to be with all of the price reductions on the cars. But we were looking over there because we're suckers. We were looking at, oh, look at the stock go up. Things got to be great. Because we all have inside of us this desire to make money and do great with what it is and have a positive outlook, right? But sometimes we get a little too excited about things. I remember, I remember <laughs> the first broker I had before I got in the business. What he would do was get me on the phone. Andrew, listen, I want to tell you, I'm calling you because you're a good client and I got a deal for you. You know, I don't usually get these. There's not a lot of them. It's going to be high demand. I want to get on the phone with you first and tell you that the stock, ABC, uh, Rocket Fuel, is going to really make a move. I'm hearing in the market they're going to really jolt this one. Now, as, as someone, by the way, who doesn't know anything about what's going on, thinking, oh, yeah, if they say they're going to jolt this one, if they're really going to move this one, Maybe I should climb on board. Maybe I should think about, hey, this is pretty cool. Why not? I mean, if it's rigged and it's going like that, I'm getting on. And he would continue. Listen, I can only give you 100 shares at $3 a piece, or whatever the number is, right? Uh, but I suggest you take it right now because if we hang up right now and you think about this, I'm telling you, it's gone. They're, taking, they're talking about taking this from $3 to $30 in the next two months. So you know what? I'm just saying, take a piece. Now, what do you say to that, right? Okay, okay. All right, just give it to me. Uh-huh. I mean, we do that. We're greedy. We want to hear the story. We, we get all excited. Why do you think that so many of these, of, of the players out there tell stories? Why do they go through the process of telling you all the possible things, the backlog, the front log, they visited the company, they did this. I, I remember the day when I was taught to do all that. I'm thinking, why are we doing all this? What's the point? It's to bring in the, the feelings of euphoria with the client so they buy. Times are a lot different these days, aren't they? But still, the job of the broker back then was to get me all lathered up 
And it was really hard to say no to the pitch. Over and over and over, when it didn't come to fruition, what would he do? He would string us along and say, you know what? I'm going to make it up for you. That one really didn't play out as I thought it would. But you know what? I got something that is a surefire banger. I mean, this really happened. I'm telling you, this really happened. And I could tell you over and over and over because every once in a while, something would hit. Now, it may not have been a three to a 30. It may have been a $2 to a $4. But you'd be like, oh, I doubled my money. That's pretty good. This is an interesting part of how we think about markets, right? As human beings, as investors. And what ties this all together is the big question. Because it's all of our, it's our collective desire, I think, to see the good and especially look out into the future and see the silver lining of what's happening. Silver linings and hope for, for, for things to get better. And there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I, you know, we could beat ourselves up all day about whether we should have done this or that. And maybe we shouldn't have been so positive on that or maybe been more negative on that. But you know what? We got to think positive. That's the way we get through things. This is natural. This is what we do. This is what we do as good people, right? Most of the time. And I know sometimes it's hard to see the good when everything is so bad out there. Sometimes we need to see through that. But then again, likewise, it's hard to see anything bad happening in the future when things are really good. You see that when markets are like, you're like, well, you know, markets are going up. They'll never go down again. The economy is in a cycle that the Fed has really clamped down on, knows what they're doing. We're never going to see the economic cycle hit ever again. We're not going to have a recession. Okay. All right. But what I really want to get to with this, and I want you to continue thinking along these lines, is the conditioning and why the masses see things this way. Why are they seeing things in the way they do. And, and, and what we call this in this business is the concept of behavioral finance. And it's, by its nature, there's a very strong push and pull on the markets when it comes to emotions and, and one's beliefs, one's understandings, one's opinions. This FOMO, right, fear of missing out. This fogey, fear of getting in. This short squeezes, trend following, technical analysis. What else is there? But, the, but these are all psychological markers, styles, if you will, involved in the behavioral finance teachings. And, and there's a lot of players out there that really understand this. Some of them have gone a little bit over the top. But there is a lot, if we could just think of our own personal behaviors that goes into our decision-making when it comes to investing. Some of that needs to be put on the side and just done away with. We know that. We've talked about that a hundred times. I've talked about my book, The Disciplined Investor, Essential Strategies for Success, available on Audible, by the way. Um, a good read. I narrate it. Uh, but we talk about the idea that emotions really play an important role in life, but really should be put aside when it comes to investing. Yes and no. Sometimes your intuition can help you Stay out of trouble. So when you think about markets and think about what you're doing, I want you to pay closer attention to the falling leaves, right? The falling leaves, not the leaves that are on the ground. The things that are happening out there that really 
don't have a defined point at that point, you know, that are that are in the background that maybe should give us clues of what is happening. And that idea, that concept of being awakened to the things that are happening in the background that usually go unnoticed, that are invisible to the naked eye for, for most of us, is something that I really want you to pick up on and really tune into. Think about your behaviors, think about how you do things. And I think that's going to be something where it can be very helpful. We'll talk about this more with other guests that are coming on. Like I said, we have a lot of guests that are coming up. I have booked, I saw my calendar. There are a ton of guests over the next few months that are coming in. As a matter of fact, we're even booking again, Das, who hasn't been on the show for a really long time. Now this week, I also had an interesting discussion with Goldman Sachs. The team came into my office. I want to discuss that with you. But first, I want to talk about interactive brokers. You know how much I, I really like the platform, the interactive or IBKR platform and, and the benefits of, of being a client. And did you know that interactive brokers charges margin loan rates from 5.58% to 6.58%? Their clients can also earn extra income by lending their fully paid shares of stock. Join interactive brokers clients from over 200 countries and territories to invest in stocks and options and futures and funds, yes, funds, bonds, globally. Minimize your costs to maximize your returns. Of course, rates are subject to change. Learn more at ibkr.com slash compare. So back to my discussion, this Goldman Sachs meeting. I had these two guys that came into my office. Now, listen, let me just state, if you don't know how this works, because you probably don't. For some odd reason, when I meet with these various people that work on the, uh, you know, with Goldman or any of these other firms, they always come in twos. It's like they have to come in twos for some reason. They don't come in one, they come in two. And two of them came in the group, came to the office. We usually don't accept their request to come in, but sometimes we need some information. Sometimes we need a discussion. We need to ask about one thing or the other because what we do is in the background, we have the research. We have everything they have. There's nothing they could tell us besides a story usually. But sometimes we have questions on either positions that we hold, like the ETFs or mutual funds, or we want some additional insight into what's going on. So we want to get some of that insight on U.S. valuations as per Goldman Sachs. As I, want to, I also want to find out about their thoughts on the U.S. dollar, emerging markets, and finally, uh, oh, devel uh, developing markets, developing it international, right, ex-U.S. So- the first thing that I talked to them about was this big, big announcement that happened last week. And I need to know clarification of exactly what they were thinking about this and why they would do such a thing. Goldman said that they had changed in this very big announcement their probabilities of a recession from somewhere around 25% over the next 12 months to 20%. And I had to ask him, how does that help anybody? What does that mean? What, what is the difference between 20 and 25% over a year's period of time on the potential for recession? And why are we now handicapping everything? We've even gone so far as to hand, it's, it's kind of like betting on the Super Bowl of how long the national anthem is going to play. And that's the bet, the, the, the wager you're going to put on. Now we're starting to bet on things like the potential move if the Fed 
does this or that. Or the market reaction, if the CPI comes in at 1%, a half a percent, two, whatever the number is, right? We, we've gotten so crazy about all of this, we can't see the forest through the trees, it seems to me. Now, I asked them about this. How does that help? I mean, what's the difference between a 30% and a 10% chance? Either way, either way, if there's a recession, they're right. I mean, like a 25% chance of rain today. You have a 25% chance of rain today, and it doesn't rain. It doesn't rain. They were right, because there's a 75% chance that it wouldn't rain. If it does rain, they were right, because they said there was a 25% chance that it was going to rain. So I, I, I just, it's just market noise. Don't pay any attention to any of this. They didn't really have any good answers though, other than the fact that they were saying that they reduced the odds of a recession happening due to the information that has currently come to light in terms of the global economy, the Fed being a little bit more uh, potentially dovish over time, and the, the, the strength of the underlying global and domestic economy. So, I don't know. Again, those kinds of things, they're noise. They don't let you see the leaves as they're fluttering down off the trees like we talked about. You only see the stuff as it hits the ground. It, it jams you up. It doesn't let you see what you need to see. But more importantly, I wanted to understand Goldman's take on the rest of the world. And to be honest, same thing I've been hearing over and over again for years now has been that you know, especially from these big firms, right, is that, you know, U.S. is overvalued or better yet, there's better valuation somewhere else. This is the year for emerging markets. I've heard that for the last five years. Talking about how there's better valuation somewhere else. And I'll tell you something. By the books, by the numbers, they're right. There's no question about that. When you look at the earnings potential divided by what the price is and looking at the future and all that, I mean, some areas around the world hold a lot better valuation. But what has happened here since we are so technology-heavy, top-heavy to a great degree, and that has really led in the earnings stampede over the last number of years, that has been to the benefit of the U.S. Now, until that changes, until that changes, you're probably going to have higher valuations in the U.S. than other places, and you're going to have the same story over and over again. But again, I want to understand their take on the rest of the world and, and what was going on. So we talked about the U.S. dollar, again, in the context of the Fed. That's what they were kind of telling me, that the U.S. dollar is going to weaken, the U.S. dollar is going to come down, that rates are going to come down. And the fact is that's really good for places like, for example, emerging markets and international developed markets, Europe in particular, things like, like Asia, Latin America, which is what I expected. That's what they've been talking about. And basically, they came to talk about the Fed, the Fed, the Fed, about the Fed was going to slow their roll, that the Fed was going to have to lower rates. And I started to get a bit of a simmer going, to be honest with you. I was sitting there like, oh, this is getting a little bit rough. Is this what it's come down to? So they're talking about the Fed and the Fed and the Fed. And I had to stop and say, hey, listen, how long have you been in the business? To the one gent that was sitting right directly across from me. 
That's what I expected. Basically, as long as the Fed has been controlling markets, about 20 years or so, that's how long he's been in business. Because I started talking about, you know, there was a time, young man, when the Fed didn't actually control the markets, pump it up on a continual basis, allowed for the forest sometimes to burn down in order to let it grow back. There wasn't that much debt. We were concerned about debt loads, and we become just enamored with the fact that the Fed could essentially solve any problem. Now, the other gent that was with it was a little bit older, and he remembered a time the Fed wasn't priming the markets on a continual basis when they're not always thought of as a safety net. Where there was a time that markets were allowed to reset and, and, and refocus and get themselves back on their feet. And I pressed them to tell me why the Fed has been there always. And why you're telling me that the Fed will be there always. Because is that really a truth? And the jaws were you know, dropping in disbelief. that I was insane. What do you mean a time that the Fed won't be there to back everything up, to, to, to you know, coddle us and make sure that the economy is stand strong? If you look at and watch any of the news stations and you see what's going on, every single time they talk about an economy that is slowing, the next sentence is about how there'll be stimulus. And I am telling you, as sure as I am sitting here, there have been times historically when there wasn't always a reaction in a knee-jerk manner that you would have massive stimulus. There may have been some small moves to help it along and all that, but it wasn't to solve the problem on its own, that it wasn't government's responsibility to bail out the private markets. But that's what it's come down to. And I said to them, why are we even having this discussion if this is what you believe? What is the point of any of this? Seriously, think about, about, about this. Why not just, just push all in at this point? If you believe that the Fed will always be there to back everything for a safety net and to be the, 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 the mother that's coddling the child on a continual basis, what's the point of us trying to figure out where to invest? What's the point of asset allocation, diversification? What is the point of anything? Just yak it all into the most aggressive things that you can find and let it just ride. They were a little bit hamstrung to come up with a response to that, by the way. Because if you come up with a response to that, you're going against your basic thesis. If they said, well, it's a better idea because we don't know the future and the future, what it may hold and the risks that are out there, we just blew them out. We just took them out. So they couldn't really talk that way. What else do we talk about? Well, we talk about something I thought was kind of interesting. They were bullish on munis. They were bullish on munis. Wow. That's not something you hear quite often. This idea that they thought not only were munis the place to be, but the lower grade, or as we call junk munis, were really the, the place, the, the lower quality. And I said to him, why? Again, the response, you would have guessed it, the similar story. The better economy that was coming, a soft landing that is Fed orchestrated, and the fact that, let's be honest, they said, <laughs> the Fed bailed them all out during COVID. All the problems in the municipalities that were around the world were basically bailed out during you know, the Fed-induced stimulus 
that was historic in nature, didn't allow anything to fail. In fact, one of the best place to be over the last number of years has been distressed debt. Things that you wouldn't usually think that you wanted to invest in because it was distressed. But why was it good? Because the bailouts essentially didn't let anybody fail. A few, a few here and there, but generally speaking, no one was allowed to fail. So, so where do we stand on all the things that they talk to us about? The reality of, okay, you know, we're not going to go so far as be crazy enough to believe that there's going to be a, a, um, a money god that is going to be there just to give us all money throughout time with the idea that they will be there as a backstop to a degree, but there's a limitation on how far they can go over time. Um, let's step back for a second. Let, let's think about what this is going on. What we think about right now is with all that they've talked about and all the research we've done and the culmination that pretty much is the same story around town is that value seems to be still in vogue right now and growth was definitely there at the beginning of the year, but value, the differential ratio, the spread, if you will, of value to growth is extraordinarily large this year. Tech has come a long way and maybe it's a little bit frothy as we could see some of the names and how they function this week. Not that there isn't more in the tank, but but small, mid, and large cap value looks pretty interesting from a valuation standpoint right now. EM, emerging markets, yes. They could be the beneficiary of lower U.S. dollar and generally strong global, global demand. That's a possibility. There's some other funky stuff going on in many of the countries around the world. The deglobalization or the selective nationalism that I call it is going to hit them a bit. Uh, but still, you know, we want cheap goods, and that's important. And that's what they fill, that compartment. But they probably be doing it at a less of a degree due to the fact that we have um, a lower uh, demand. And you could see that with, with the trucking and the, the, um, the, the railroads reports that came out last week. Europe is another story. Recession. You know, the ECB is uh, – uh, the ECB historically has made – an incredible, more, more policy mistakes than they've actually made any good. And through the shortened period of that they've actually been the central bank for Europe, right? Because it was all individual countries for a while. But I still like the prospects. If, 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 if everything doesn't crash and burn, and if there are some end, there's an end to some of the uh, fighting and conflict, the war, whatever's going on in Russia and Ukraine, um, probably most of us forgot about that already. Oh, that's that's still going on? Oh, oh. But um, I think that there is still an opportunity there, and I do like the valuations. And I think that there is reason to have a, a, a positioning in there, and that's why our clients have positions in those areas. They've done fine, and I do think that there is an opportunity for them to really move ahead over the next couple of years and, and, and start setting up those allocations now to get ahead of it. All right, what else do we have? Next week, big doings next week. Big, 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 the Fed rate decision. Uh, close to 100% chance that they will raise rates by 25 basis points. And my sense is that they're probably going to be more hawkish towards the markets because if you think about what's gone on with the markets themselves, with housing, what's going on there, the fact that the unemployment rate is very sticky and is keeping 
you know, uh, you know, at three point six percent, and we're seeing that there's new jobs added. The initial claims two twenty eight last week. I mean, all these things combined leads you to believe that the economy is doing pretty well. Consumer confidence came out for this month very strong, and we're seeing the housing numbers and housing starts very strong. Uh, markets, to, you know, a lot of speculative moves that are going on right now. You would think that the Fed is going to try to tamp that down. I, I, they have to, and if they want to, they have to on one hand tamp it down. On the other hand, they want to make sure they don't overshoot in terms of what they're doing. Then we're going to roll with the big names. Earnings and optimism is definitely there. Maybe they can keep the run going. But if we look at the indications from others that have reported so far, uh, it's going to probably be a bumpy ride. And it is the summer and strange things happen in the summer. We know all about that. I mentioned this. I'm going to mention it one more time. We have some incredible guests that are coming on from now, booked out to October, November of this year. So I want you, we're going to keep it lively. We're going to keep it fresh. We don't do one of these things where we book a guest, record them and uh, publish it three months later. We want it fresh within days. Sometimes that day we want to have that guest's opinion on what is going on right then and there and the educational component from all areas of disciplines regarding investing. We will have people on. So that's going to be great. Make sure to stay tuned Make sure to keep subscribed. Go over to thedisciplinedinvestor.com. I think it's a really good time right now, if any time was a good time, to start thinking about working with us from an investment standpoint, and and, and we'll help you with that. Um, go over to disciplinedinvestor.com and say, hey, you know what? I'd like you to take a look at my portfolio. Just click on the Ask Andrew, figure out a way to get back in touch with you very quickly and do what you need to do to make sure you are diversified pretty well. Look, have a great week. We're going to sign off right now. I wish you the best part of the summer. We're in the deep doldrums, the, the, the depths of the heat. Keep a hot towel on, plenty of watermelon, and of course, a little bit of alcohol never hurts. Thanks for joining me this week and every week. I'll see you again soon. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results, and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida, and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.